0: God, we give thanks for this day and for the gift of your word. We need your word's life and nourishment to speak and equip us who are gathered here and many who are gathered all over this nation and world. By the power of your spirit, may we know life, may we know your voice, and then through this your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I read the passage from Jeremiah, uh, two words. One, I am wearing, some of you recognize, the stole that Cherry Corley made for the centennial anniversary in 2015 of Grace Covenant Presbyterian Church, uh, made up of a hundred squares of fabric donated by a hundred uh, different congregants and missionary partners. And I wear it today because I think as you'll hear in the sermon on some Sundays good to remember our roots. The second is a bit of context about the book of Jeremiah. We're going to be looking at the book of Jeremiah for uh, the next couple months together in worship. And Jeremiah has some of the most famous, beautiful words of hope in all of Scripture. Some just remarkable passages that we're going to get to later on. But the truth is, if you know anything about Jeremiah, he's this prophet of God, this preacher... Uh, who preached for 40 years to the Israelites as well as surrounding nations. And and during his time, it was uh, incredible amounts of turmoil. The Babylonian Empire grew into great strength, overtaking Assyrians, Egyptians. Jerusalem was attacked three times, ultimately in 587. The city walls, the king's palace, and the temple itself destroyed. The Jewish people, once a centralized uh, group uh, now were, were foreigners in exile trying to find a home and remain faithful in, in this very new pluralism. It was a time of incredible, painful transition, probing theological questions about God, where's God, and God's faithfulness. And again, this was Jeremiah's setting for ministry. But before he did anything, he was called. And his call story is what we consider today. Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 4 through 10. Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Then I said, Ah, Lord God, truly I do not know how to speak, for I'm only a boy. But the Lord said to me, Do not say I am only a boy. For you shall go to all to whom I send you, and you shall speak whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. Then the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth, and the Lord said to me, Now I have put my words in your mouth. See, today I appoint you over nations and over kingdoms, to pluck up and to pull down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. The Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And then from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, just as he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless before him in love. The Word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. There was a group of us out at Shalom Farms yesterday from Grace Covenant, a ministry a number of you I know are aware of. This church has supported for a few years. It's a farm that makes fresh local produce and and gets it to places in Richmond that don't have a grocery store, food deserts, and gets it there at, at a subsidized price. Well, the group of us were working under a canopy area, where we are sorting sweet potatoes. And at one point during this time, an employee of Shalom Farms begins driving this very large, loud tractor in our work area back and forth, back and forth. This particular area was hard, dry, no vegetation. The tractor had a, a piece attached to it so that it could help break up this hard and dry dirt So that some new seeds for grass could go there and and, and some straw covering could be laid over it. And I am sure one day that that grass will look wonderful and magnificent. But as I was reminded yesterday, long before you ever get new life, you got to work the soil. And if you have particularly hard soil with old roots, that process is difficult and dusty. And laughed. As I mentioned in the introduction to the readings from Jeremiah, the vast majority of Jeremiah's years of ministry were done during a time when the tractor was running and the hard soil being overturned. God says to Jeremiah in verse 10 of our scripture today See, today I appoint you over nations and over kingdoms to pluck up and pull down, to destroy, to overthrow, to build and to plant. You can hear the agricultural imagery employed, pluck up, plant. There's also imagery of war, destroy and overthrow, as well as development, pull down, build up. But one of the main images for Israel throughout the Old Testament is that of being a choice vine. So agricultural imagery is natural, in God's word, to make a point, and here it is in our passage, and it's in numerous spots all over Jeremiah. Here, God is declaring that Israel, as well as the surrounding nations, will be going through a renewal, soil renewal process. The old hardened roots everyone thought would just always be there are going to be plucked up. The dead branches pulled down. A little bit of water, some new seeds, that just isn't going to do. Hard soil means the tractor. Noise, dust, disruption, back and forth, back and forth, and for some time. In fact, Four of the six verses, uh, verbs that God gives Jeremiah are negative, and point to this. Pluck up, pull down, destroy, overthrow. Eventually, Jeremiah will also take part in the final two verbs, build and plant. And he will. He will help plant a seed of the new covenant between God and the people. But but the emphasis of his call, of his 40 years, is on the upheaval process. As the uh, Old Testament theologian and Presbyterian Walter Brueggemann puts it, the book of Jeremiah and its main thrust concerns the end of beloved Jerusalem and the formation of a new beloved Jerusalem. And the end of Jerusalem, of old Jerusalem, and the beginning of new Jerusalem, they both take place through soil-level disruption. Now our times do not perfectly parallel Jeremiah's we are not literally in exile in a foreign country it's also hard to ignore the truth that a lot of soil has been and is being turned upside down around us and among us and not just in the most immediate sense of these hurricanes ravaging this country we can point to all kinds of signs of significant upheaval and just a short span of, of maybe even 40 years, like Jeremiah's lifetime. As a church, perhaps we point to some of us, what a typical Sunday looked like society wide 40 years ago, and what it looks like today. We, we could point to profound religious affiliation swings, uh, to say, 1960, where The solid majority of the country was some form of Protestant. The next block, Catholic. Those two blocks made up near 90% or so. To today, where the leading categories, uh, right, are starting into that spiritual or none, no religion. We can point to the way we communicated 40 years ago to just 15 years ago to today. We can point out quickly our our job markets, our arena of, of work has shifted. We can point to the profound distrust animosity, sometimes outright violence across political and social lines that has emerged poignantly in recent years. We can point to Richmond 40 years ago and Richmond today and look not at just all of the construction going on in different places and VCU and this and that, but consider if that construction isn't emblematic of lots of different soils being shifted around right now. I myself can point to Christian publications, magazines, emails, social media posts. How many of those offer articles and podcasts and advice to church leaders on preaching or leading on, quote, unprecedented times of unprecedented or tumultuous or great change? In the past ten years, the uptick in this kind of article has been enormous. Enormous. Of course, not only society wide, church wide, I'm a well aware many of us in our individual and family lives are in a season where we're not just merely watering the vegetation and seeing a slow and steady growth. Some of us are, but some of us are are gathered and it is a time of real soil turnover. It's messy, it's scary. And I imagine a hundred years from now, people will see far more clearly what all this overturned dirt was all about in our, in our families or the church, society. They're going to see, well, that was the kind of seed that really needed to be planted. And it, it was a new seed. It needed fresh soil. I imagine they'll all see it. But for now, many of us, the experience is mainly loud and difficult. And, and our vision is clouded by all of the stirred up dust. We give thanks, though, that we are not the first to step into times of uncertain soil. God is sending Jeremiah, really, into even rougher terrain than ours, and and so we do. I think we turn rightly and ask, well, how did Jeremiah remain faithful and loving and strong and hopeful for 40 years? The quick answer is he actually went through a lot of angst and, and back and forth with God. And how how did God prepare Jeremiah to traverse this kind of soil-upturned reality? What does one need to have or know if one finds themselves situated in ever-shifting, overturning soil? When I was a toddler, little child, this was the blanket that I dragged everywhere. In the house, in the car, in the store, to the dinner table, I slept with it, I played under it, I kept warm with this blanket. I have shared about this blanket in another sermon about three years ago, and I mentioned how uh, on one corner of this blanket, it says, made with love by mom. When I was still in her womb, she was making this. It was the first blanket she made by hand, no machine. It was a gift of love to me before I knew of love. It was a sign of the kind of love that holds and warms and knows me even before I, I know myself. As I went and underwent significant life change in my first few years, as every single one of us does, teething, and talking, learning, and growing at such a rapid pace, you can see the difference from week to week. That's security, an anchor, an assurance of being held amid all the constant change. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, God tells Jeremiah. Before God ever gets the words about how difficult this is going to be, and that's verse 10. Before you were born, I knew you. It's a no, and in Scripture is a, a word that speaks to intimacy. And God continues in verse 5, And before you were born, I consecrated you. Consecrated is the verb form of the noun saint. I sainted you. I conferred upon you utter and total blessing and light, not because of anything you have done or not done, but simply because that is who I am as a god. For Jeremiah was ever Jeremiah, he was wrapped in the multicolored mercy of God's love. Named, known, sainted. And actually Jeremiah is not heart. Jeremiah is all of us. Paul, you heard, declares in Ephesians 1 God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless before him in love. So extravagant, so unmerited is God's love towards us that even before the foundation of the world we have been wrapped in the blanket of God's abundant love and chosenness. That we really cannot fathom that kind of timeline or reality is really the point. That's how deep down the good soil of God goes and in which we are rooted. If we can't get our minds around it Maybe it's only our hearts, occasionally, that glimpse what this truth is all about. Maybe in times when parents give a blanket stitched in this kind of love. We are always, forever, held in the internal embrace of Jesus. Ephesians goes on to explain that we are not only called, we are called also holy. Holy being the adjective version of that word. Noun, Saint. It's an unfortunate thing that typically nowadays we reserve the word saint for someone who seems especially good to us. She is such a saint in the way she just gives of her time and her money and her energy. He is such a saint, the way he sacrifices and loves and gives. biblically speaking, though, the word saint is the word for all of us. Each of us has by grace. You do not earn your sainthood you don't unearn your sainthood. Blessed of holiness, that is what is conferred upon each of you before birth. Our sainthood has deep eternal roots in the soil of God. Perhaps one of the great tragedies of our age is how many of us try, sometimes it's just unconsciously, to work really hard and serve others and Be nice and make waves, but not big waves and and keep up with the house, the expectations, the rules and all the rest. How many of us spend energy trying to keep up appearances that we might feel like we are finally good enough or feel like maybe we do belong and it's a chasing after the wind, right? Because never do our actions or inactions ever get there. We don't ever accrue enough, uh, some kind of credential that every fiber of our being knows that we are loved in all of our frailty and brokenness, just as we are for who we are in Christ Jesus. That knowledge of belongingness, that knowledge of chosenness, that knowledge is only ever a gift, a blanket. Knit before we were born that covers us in the car, in the house, at mealtime, at night. God starts Jeremiah's call process and our call process with an assurance about the good eternally deep soil in which our lives are situated. You are beloved from all eternity. God knows that it is the people who know themselves most rooted in healthy, eternal soil who can then most faithfully and boldly navigate the overturned topsoil they encounter in the few decades of their lives. Because people who know they are deeply loved do not navigate all of the overturned topsoil and dusty conditions from a place of fear and anxiety and worry about how this is surely going to concern us and consume meat they navigate from a place of rooted love because that is where they are being nourished and indeed as we have mentioned jeremiah is sent into the world where there's a lot of pluck upping and overturning happening in fact his preaching is to be part of that very effort God puts it this way at the end of verse 5, speaking again of what God has done before Jeremiah was ever born. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Appointed, meaning literally given unto the nations, the the, the ethne, the ethnicities, the the many people groups. Before you were born, you were known, loved, sainted, and given to the peoples. And so too, all of us. Those who find themselves in Christ are tethered to the words of Jesus. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, ethne, ethnicities, people groups. You are a light unto the world. We are a people given unto the nations. It's, it's not really a choice, it's, it's a reality in Jesus Christ. Before you were born, you were known, loved, sainted, and given. To be sure, once we arrive on the world scene with full awareness of our lives and our world, we often do not think ourselves up for whatever very specific way God calls each of us in our church to be given unto the nations. Then I said, ah, oh, Lord God, uh, truly I do not know how to speak for I am only a boy. Jeremiah pushes back. We see this kind of resistance time and again in Scripture. People protest for the reasons they cannot do what God has for them. Isaiah, too sinful. Moses, I'm too deficient. I don't don't know how to speak in front of people. Sarah, I'm too old. I can't have a baby. Jeremiah, too young. It becomes clear, really, that this is the common response for people called by God. God, you cannot be calling me to this specific work right now in my family, my marriage, my workplace, in our society, amid all this mess, to this kind of change in my life, our life, to this way with, with being a church with all the soil upheaval going on. Because look, I mean, look at me. Look at us. And God hears our protests. God certainly dialogues with Jeremiah and Moses and others as... They offer their protest and resist, but God also refuses to let the protest become paralyzing excuses that keep us bound in fear and timidity. Do not say, I am only a boy. Do not say, "I, I do not have the experience. Do not say, I am too old to really offer anything. Do not say, we don't have enough members, we don't have enough money. Do not say, I am too handicapped. Do not say, I went to the wrong school, I did not get into the right school for this. Do not say, I'm just a sinner. If the Holy Spirit is nudging something, something terrifying, something difficult, something to do with walking faithfully amid this upturned terrain, and you really don't know how it's going to end, do not say the excuse. Even if the excuse has some real merit, because yes, like Jeremiah, maybe you are quite young, or you are actually getting up there in years, or you do lack money or whatever. I mean, implicitly, God seems to acknowledge that Jeremiah is, in fact, just a boy. But for God, what matters is not Jeremiah's sense of confidence. I'm sure that comes and goes. What matters is God's command that God will fulfill. Do not say, I'm only a boy. For you shall go to all whom I send you, and you shall speak whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you. In essence, God promises that that whether or not we remember to drag the blanket with us everywhere we go, the blanket covers us anyway. Do not fear, I am with you. Actually, if we listen more closely, we'll notice the promise is a bit better and scarier than that. Usually, in Scripture, God does make this wonderful assurance to be with us, to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Here, God tells Jeremiah, for I, will, I am with you to deliver or rescue you. So here, God not only promises to be with Jeremiah, God also adds the specific assurance of rescue, which is wonderful. And so we realize that that then implies, somewhat terrifyingly, that Jeremiah will find himself in a place where he would need to be rescued. Things will get so legitimately bad or difficult that, that it will have to be. God? How many of us want God to call us to such a givenness that is one of of such pain and difficulty? We are guaranteed to wind up in a situation so far out of our control it will have to be God and God alone who rescues us. How many churches want God to call them to, to such a givenness? That pushes them so far outside of their resources or, or 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 their control that God has to, God has to save, rescue, show up. And the truth is, we are not walking by faith as individual followers of Jesus, or, or as a church. If, if 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 in somewhere in our lives we are not stepping in faith in a, in a manner where where we very likely will need Jesus. To rescue in a very specific way because the risks are great and we really don't know how the dust is settling. This again is why God starts off by telling Jeremiah about the blanket. For Jeremiah is called to an impossibly difficult situation where the world is being upturned and the people of God sent into exile. New homes in a foreign land. If Jeremiah is going to risk everything, he's got to be secure in the thing That is the most important. If Jeremiah is going to navigate faithfully all of this overturned soil around him. And maybe even in his life. He's got to know the settled soil. In which he is surely in no matter what. If Jeremiah is going to speak hard truths. That create and bring about insults and judgments and ridicule and push back. He must know himself deeply anchored. Indeed, the degree to which we know ourselves as loved and chosen by God is the degree to which we can and will be courageously faithful. The ones who know themselves most deeply forgiven by Jesus Christ are the ones who are the most forgiving. The ones whose identity is not in all that they do and can produce or they don't do, but is in their simply their belovedness in God, they're actually the ones who confer most radically love upon the undeserving and the marginalized and the sinner. The ones who are deeply secure in God are the ones who risk most freely their lives, their whole selves. Indeed, Jesus' ministry, you may recall, did not begin with the immediate transformation of the world. It began with his baptism at which God the Father says, This is my Son, the Beloved, of whom I am well pleased. Rooted in the utter assurance of God's love, Jesus risks his entire life, offers his entire life, and it was destroyed. His life lay fallow for three days until from within the tomb located in a garden of all places... He emerged alive. The deeply rooted life, the deeply rooted church will offer itself entirely in love no matter what happens. And the assurance of Jesus Christ is that what will ultimately emerge is resurrection life. Our culture, certainly the church... Many of our individual lives, I know, are not in the midst of simply slow and steady change. It's more like a tractor breaking up old roots and layers, and there is noise, and there is hardship, and there is a lot of dust, and there's not a lot of immediate evidence of precisely what seeds are being planted and what growth and beauty will be known. These, however, are the times given to us. And each of us is born into these times, and upon arrival, find that we are already named and known, consecrated, and chosen. More than that, we are also given unto the nations. This is the soil in which we are planted. This is the blanket that covers us all of our days. This is the good news that we have in Jesus Christ. Receive it, trust it and in step, and great courage. Amen.